what a great thing that my teacher in high school told me was that you can never kick yourself about an audition because no matter what, under those circumstances, when you went into that room, you did the best job you possibly could in that moment. You can't go back in time and change anything. So if you're walking to the audition room and you're like, dang, I should have really practiced more, you're going to do the best that you can possibly do under those certain conditions. You're listening to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast, the only leadership podcast run by undergraduate students dedicated to helping undergraduate students lead in diverse fields. From people in diplomacy to entertainment, from CEOs to student leaders, we feature people from all walks of life. It's all part of the mission. Here at the Messina Leadership Institute, we make leaders better. Hello, and welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. I'm Kaida Jesus, and today I'll be your host. Today, I'm talking to Sammy Paradise, event manager for the South Orange Performing Arts Center. She's also directed shows and run auditions for the Seton Hall Theater Council. However, sometimes she comes on stage performing in roles such as Meg in Leading Ladies and Don Gianna in Much To Do About Nothing. She's also held managerial roles such as running the social media feeds for the Quarry Theater and Rosemary Brooks Biddings and being the vice president of Seton Hall's Chapter of Public Relations Student Society of America. In her free time, she's the vice president of Seton Hall's Star Wars Club. Sammy, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to be here. Usually when I talk to artists, the story is getting used to rejection. But as I said in the intro, you run auditions, so you are the one rejecting, which I think is a very interesting part of the story. So how do you make these decisions, especially when, like, it's theater council, so you know these people, so these people are your friends. Um, so how do you make these hard decisions, first of all? That was definitely the hardest transition into coming to this position. I have been so used to the rejection <laughs> side of it. Um, and at first it was hard. I was just kind of letting everybody in because I wanted it to be fun and have everybody involved. And that just doesn't work out. And that's just the truth of doing shows and stuff. You do have to be selective because you need the best possible outcome for an ensemble. And what I found that really works is not everybody's going to be a dancer. Not everybody's a singer and not everybody's a really strong actor, but typically everybody who comes in has one of each. So I try to cater it to, okay, this person's a really strong dancer. So I'm going to have them come in while this person sings a song and kind of dance in the background. So I try to make sure that everybody gets a part that caters to what they are really good at. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. But like another question I had in my head was that like, you make all these decisions and obviously some parts, like the lead parts, maybe they're meant for singers and dancers, and maybe your friend is just a singer, and they notice that you put them in a smaller role than they would would have liked. Has that ever happened, and what happens when people take it too personally? Some people do get really upset about it, um, and I really think that's part of growing as an actor and a performer. When you're kind of just starting off, you're going to get upset. You're going to be hurt because you've mm -hmm. practiced over and over again, and you are singing in the shower, dreaming <laughs> about being on stage and being that part. Um, and I think it's just... A lot of people will get upset at first, but most people end up taking it with grace. Um, for those who don't, um, I typically just have to talk to them and be like, look, like it's not a personal thing. It's just out of the people who audition, this is who fit that role the best. So maybe we have a few listeners that have a problem with what you've called taking it with grace. Ha have you ever struggled with dealing this? And if you, whether you have or haven't, how do you deal with that? I had the worst problem with that in high school. Um, I could not get beyond it. Um, 
most actors grow up or performers grow up with their parents telling them that they are the best. And so my parents definitely did that. So I thought I was the best. I went to a performing arts high school, so I was not. I was among the best. Um, mm-hmm. So I was not the top. And so it's just kind of taking a deep breath and taking the experience as it goes. You're not going to get a lead role right off the bat. And taking those smaller roles and taking them with grace, that's what's going to get you a bigger part. We have the same director now who is here for Much Ado About Nothing. Right. I was not excited about my part at first in Much Ado About Nothing. Ended up loving playing the villain. (laughs) She came back. I just auditioned and I got the lead role. Wow. So I think it's just I worked with her and I was graceful about not getting the part that I really wanted. Okay. So you mentioned being the best or being among the best and then being in a performing arts high school. Sometimes Some people probably have transitioned from middle school to a performing arts high school or they transitioned to high school and then they become a theater major and then they thought they were the best and then they realized that they're just one talent in like a sea of many talents. How do you deal with those feelings of being like the only one doing this thing to being like one of many doing this thing? Yeah, it's rough when you're originally like the center of attention Mm -hmm. and everybody wants to tell you how good you were in that role and that like you're kind of a star, but it's also just, you just can't take it too seriously. And that sounds so silly for theater people who are so (laughs) into uh, doing everything, but it's just kind of like taking a deep breath and realizing that like high school and college is more about the relationships you make with people. And it's not that serious. Not getting a lead in one play is not going to destroy your career for the rest of your life. It adds something to your resume. Not getting into one play is not going to be the end of it because you're earning that experience by going to auditions. That's the biggest thing is getting experience in auditions. Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned that high school and college, it's more about the relationships you make. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, it's just when when you don't take it in grace and you decide to instead be kind of bitter about not getting that role, as many people do. I did it in high school. And I was realizing that everybody else was making these great friendships and going and hanging out with each other and going and getting food before shows and I wasn't being invited. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because I was being extremely bitter towards them. I wanted that role and I didn't get it and I thought that I could do it better. Um, I'm making myself sound absolutely horrible, but again, (laughs) high school. And... Once I took that deep breath and said, you know, this is my part. This is how I'm contributing to the play. It sounds so stupid, but there really are no small parts, just small actors. Right. Everybody is important. There, there, there wouldn't be that character in that play if they didn't serve some sort of purpose. They wouldn't have added them. It's a waste of time. So it's kind of acknowledging that you kind of have to take your peace with that or you're not going to build those relationships. Right. So we've been talking about your skills on the stage and the lessons that you've learned, especially from your smaller parts on stage. And as we've said before, you've been on both sides of the audition. You've been the auditioning person and you've been the person that's been listening to auditions. So have you taken anything from running auditions and then used it in your actual, like the ones where you're actually doing the audition? Yeah, I just, um, it's more about the preparing for the audition. Um, Mm -hmm. I have been on the running side and seen so many people come in with this attitude that just isn't friendly and isn't kind and I realized sitting there I was like I don't really want to hear them sing because they came in with this really negative energy and I didn't realize how that can just fill the room so easily Mm -hmm. they come in so serious trying to act like they're at a Broadway audition 
And while it's so necessary to be professional, it felt so much better when the people came in with a smile on and right. seemed excited to be there. Those are the people that I wanted to hear sing and didn't want them to stop singing. So I've definitely taken that and learned that like going into the audition room, you come in with a good energy, you're excited to be there, and you let the director know that. Um, and just keep a very positive, upbeat type of energy. So what is that difference between being nervous, being professional, not having good energy? Like, can you talk about more of the nuances of that? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> being nervous is always going to be a part of it. Right. Nobody, nobody, even the biggest Broadway actors do not walk into an audition room and not be even the smallest bit nervous. What a great thing that my teacher in high school told me was that y you can never kick yourself about an audition because no matter what, under those circumstances, when you went into that room, you did the best job you possibly could in that moment. You can't go back in time and change anything. So if you're walking to the audition room and you're like, dang, I should have really practiced more, you're going to do the best that you can possibly do under those certain conditions. Mm -hmm. So nerves definitely plays into it. Um, but it's about like the energy that you're going to project off yourself. You're going into audition for an acting right. role. You got to put on the face. You got to put on the face of being excited and being confident in yourself. And that is so big. It's just going in and seeming confident um, and trying to not be too serious um and of course not too goofy kind of like an even balance you're excited to be there kind of like going into a job interview you don't right. want to go in seeming grumpy mm -hmm. but you don't want to go in seeming aloof right so we talked a lot about the smaller parts in shows and how you need to take them with grace but i want to talk about more about the lead actor especially since you just said that you were a lead actor in a show so i've been using the word lead lead actress and this is a podcast about leadership but it's not really the lead actor that's calling the shots. That's mostly the director. So is there a leadership role in being the lead actor? And what is it? Absolutely. There absolutely is. Obviously, you're not the one calling the shots. You're not telling people where to stand on stage, anything like that. Um, but the leadership that comes with having such a big role in a show is... I keep talking about energy, but it really is so important. It's mm -hmm. bringing that energy every single night to your rehearsal and to the performances. It's making that eye connection on stage and listening to others. When you're a lead role, you're probably going to be on stage for a very long period of time. And a lot of other roles are only going to have brief moments with you. Right. You need to make those moments count. You need to actually listen to what their line is, even though you've heard it 5,000 times. You're hearing it for the first time as your character. So it's really important to kind of be that person that when somebody comes on stage, even for a singular line, they are excited to do so because they know that you're going to make a connection with them and they're going to feel good about coming out and playing that part. Okay. Um, and you talk a lot about energy and keeping energy up. Do you, does it ever get hard to keep that energy? Especially because, like, it has to be, like, good, positive energy. Do you ever get burnt out by it? And how do you deal with that? It is extremely exhausting. <laughs> um, it, de it definitely is. Mm -hmm. One of the nice things is that I have created a lot of connections with people in the shows that I've been in here at Seton Hall. And honestly, we just... We go out together. We go to uh, Applebee's to have <laughs> half apps at 10 p.m. And it's kind of taking that energy that we had to put in, that attentive energy, and kind of putting that aside and just kind of being with each other instead of, like, putting on that face, if that makes sense. You're mm -hmm. constantly playing this character. You typically don't have time to talk to others during rehearsal. Right. So it's taking that minute and being able to kind of, like, relax and see the connections that you're making through all of that hard work. 
So you mentioned like just like this decompression and just like getting out of character. Can you talk more about your process and like separating these characters from yourself, especially because like as we've mentioned, can take a lot of your energy. Honestly, the best example is uh, this past March, I was in a show called 26 Pebbles. Um, mm-hmm. It was the hardest show I've ever had to do. It was about Sandy Hook. Wow. Um, so we are going for five hours at a time just talking about this devastating tragedy where I still remember where I was when I heard about it. Wow. And playing three different characters that all lived in the town and they're real people from Sandy Hook. Wow. So, and I had to have three different physicalities, three different voices. One had an Australian accent. So Mm -hmm. it was a lot to take on and having to say the names every time we rehearsed and just putting all this energy into this incredibly sad show definitely took a toll on the entire cast. Right. So it's kind of going home and finding a show that works for you. Um, Through the entire time we were doing that, I was watching Schitt's Creek every single time (laughs) I got home because it was something where I could genuinely laugh and kind of forget about the really tough material that we had to work on. Mm -hmm. And that's another time that we would all FaceTime each other. We had weekly check-ins during the show to make sure that everybody was still okay. So yeah, it was really spending the time with others, making sure when I went home that I was taking even a minute to talk to my roommate before bed because it always made me feel better mm-hmm. and finding that show or YouTube videos or anything that makes you laugh. So you mentioned a weekly check-in. For those people that want to do a sort of weekly check-in, can you walk us through what what that was like so other people can replicate it? Yeah, so for a weekly check-in, typically it'll be led by... Um, whoever would be in charge of the elements, no matter what, like, club or if you're in a play. In a play, it's typically going to be the uh, deputy director. Um, Everybody votes on this person at the first rehearsal, and that's kind of the person that if anybody has an issue, they would go to. Um, If there were any drama in the show, they Mm -hmm. would go to them. And so I was that for 26 Pebbles, so I just kind of made a group me. Um, So making, like, a group chat and just kind of sending a message and being like, if anybody needs to talk about anything, needs to relax. And then I mentioned the idea of, like, if you guys want to get together, we can't, and people went crazy. They love that idea. So it's just kind of taking a minute each week, um, typically after a tough time that's a really good idea yeah um and making sure that everybody feels okay and letting them know that they are more than welcome to if they want to put it in the full chat so that everybody can kind of discuss it or if they want to message separately like you're there for them right we talked about a story about sandy hook which could bring maybe closure to some people or maybe just like help people walk through their feelings even though they weren't actually there and i hear a lot of arguments for representation in stories and the media and for listeners i could be hearing stories from women or people of color or LGBT people or other marginalized communities. And the conclusion I've taken in this way is that stories lead other people. Um, and what do you, as, as a storyteller yourself, what do you make of this? And do you think you lead by telling stories? Yeah, definitely. I think that's super important. This representation in stories is just absolutely crucial, especially the world that we are living in now. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people don't realize that theater was created for the purpose of social change. It was created as a commentary on society around them. 
um, and why it might seem very uh, subliminal when you look <laughs> back at like Shakespeare and stuff, but he was making comments about what society was like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really focusing on those notions and choosing plays that really do that. So this year, we actually have a theme for our main stage shows, and it's a diversity and inclusion theme, and it's about women overcoming obstacles. So wow. every single play that we are doing has that theme coming through with the main female character. Mm-hmm. And because it is important, it is so, so, so important to tell these stories and to make sure people feel included and seen and heard through everything. Okay, so <laughs> let's just take a, that question and put a little bit of a twist on it. I know that obviously this has been a very, very dark time of coronavirus. There's been a lot of tragedies. And I know that there's still, like, is there a place for, because of the dark times, dark stories? And what is it? Yeah, I think there there definitely is. Um, a lot of dark stories, um, and I do not speak for all plays because some playwrights just go off the deep end with it, but a lot of plays kind of fall into the healing aspect of it. There are going to be really, really dark plays about losing children and uh, just really hard relationships between people. But while 26 Pebbles is really hard to do and really hard to talk about them, the point of the play was that people come together as a community and that you have to connect with other people in order to heal. Um, And I think that's so true for any facet you're going to talk about, any... um, dark times. I mean, during Corona, like I I got my sanity from FaceTiming my friends and talking to my friends and connecting with them. So I think there's always uh, space for dark stories because not every story's ending is going to be dark, even though the beginning is. Okay. And we've mentioned before that you do a lot of things where you're on some sort of platform. And we talked about the characters that you put on, but you like do a lot of other things. You, if you're not acting you're running social media and if you're not doing that you're doing public relations work so even if you're not don gianna which is like a big bold character you're essentially playing and correct me if i'm wrong on this you're essentially playing another form of yourself and do you ever turn that public face off and is it like a character that you put on stage and if so how do you separate yourself from that Yeah, so uh, coming into my role in the theater council, I I didn't want to put on the face. I Mm -hmm. wanted to just be chill and be, like, the cool president and make (laughs) sure that everybody felt comfortable all the time and nobody would dislike me because I was being um, bossy because that's the great fear from women is that being in charge means you're bossy. Mm -hmm. So I was trying really hard to lay back, and then I quickly realized that that does not work and that sometimes you have to put on this face in order to properly communicate with others. Um, I have to talk a lot to the head of the theater department. I have to talk a lot to other clubs and organizations. And sometimes we don't agree on how we want an event to go. And so there's no more like you can't be Mr. Chill Guy anymore. You have to be prepared and you have to put on that face. Um, But that's definitely something that I hate doing because I want it to just be a very... um, feeling equal environment I never want to be the person who's in charge I kind of want it to be collaborative Um, but sometimes that face definitely has to come on especially because theater deadlines are so important (laughs) there's really you can't push things back but yeah we've also mentioned you know in previous questions about making these these decisions when these people that are affected by, by decisions are your friends so does it ever get disconcerting to have to put this like 
president face on and then go right to your normal face your your like not working face does it like ever get awkward or weird especially because like you could be leading these people in one and then going to applebee's with like with the other how does that like how, how like what is that like for you yeah um on my side of it i i honestly uh don't know how like my friends feel about that switch but on my side of it it brings me great anxiety mm-hmm. um i just constantly panic about oh god i told that one person at rehearsal that they really need to learn their lines that we've talked about this multiple times and that right. we have a deadline for the show and then we're hanging out and i'm sitting there thinking oh my god they're just thinking in their head about how bossy and mean i am and now they hate me and mm-hmm. it's just it's a really hard kind of switch to turn off um because being in leadership having done theater your whole life and then turning around and being in charge of a portion of a theater department is very very interesting and very difficult so i just get really anxious that people get mad at me um for doing that but typically i just try my best to communicate with them and let them know like hey like it's not a personal thing between us like i don't think like any way about you it's just we have to get this done in order for this to work right and how do you deal with that anxiety Typically, I take a deep breath, (laughs) and then I will tell one of my roommates and be like, I'm really worried about this one thing, and I'll talk it through with them. And usually the solution to all of it is just them telling me, like, look, like they can't be mad at you. Like, it's not fair to you for them to be mad at you. They have no reason to be upset. Um, It is your job to help run all of this stuff. It is your job to make sure that the show looks great. Um, And if they're upset at you for that... um, you're just going to have to kind of deal with that because in the end, you were doing what's best for them. If the show looks bad, they're going to look bad. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, like, do you ever get those, like, wires crossed? Because we talk, like, there's a lot of ethical Im- implications about being friends with your boss or whatever. But in in this case, it's, a, it's almost a school club. So you're almost definitely friends with your quote-unquote boss. So does that ever get crossed? Like, those wires get ever... I'm sorry, does, do those wires ever get crossed in your head and how do you get them uncrossed? Definitely. Those wires definitely get crossed. It's really hard to be running something that is, at least for theater majors and people who enjoy theater, it really is such a big part of campus. People take coming to auditions very seriously. We get a lot of people to turn out for auditions. So it can be really difficult when you're having your friends there, but you have to be in charge. And I, when I first became president, beginning of COVID, so we weren't really doing anything, but I was Mm -hmm. making these plans in my head about what we could do. (laughs) I found myself tripping into that hole of, oh, well, my one friend could play this part, and then my other friend could play this part, and then this friend could play this part. And I kind of had to step back and be like, whoa, buddy, like, you can't just cast your friends in the biggest parts that you want them to be in. Right. And then we developed this whole system for, like, when we did auditions, myself, the vice president, and another girl in theater council all sat in the audition room, and we sent it to the e-board. We said all three of us are going to be in the audition room, like this message, or like this message if you think that it's okay if we do not submit an audition and like this message if you find that inappropriate Mm -hmm. and everybody always likes the message i always say like if you really feel strongly about this message me separately 
Um, but it can get hard because we do need the number of performers, so people on the e-board right. are going to have to be in the show. It just gets tricky when you have to pick who has to be in the audition room, who's going to get what part. Um, so I definitely had to, like, take a step back and be like, I cannot be <laughs> the main person in everything, and my friends cannot always be the main person. All right, because I know in some high school productions, sometimes they'll look at the student performance that they have and then choose a show based on that. But it's, like, do you still do that in theater council, or is that just off-limits? I, I kind of try to base it off of what I know that people like. Like, the biggest thing that I run is our, um, our cabarets. Right. So, in the spring of last year, I did Disney, because I knew it would be easy for people to find songs. It's something that people would want to come to, and it's something that I know that a lot of students in the council are passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, a most recent one was the music of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, a lot of people in the theater council are passionate about Marvel. It is very mm -hmm. relevant right now, so right. people came to see it. So it's kind of just trying to figure out what themes would be good, and then I always communicate with my e-board. I do not decide on anything before I send a message in the group me, sending the like this message if you agree, <laughs> like this message if you disagree. So you mentioned that you are, like, obviously we've talked a lot about how you're in the audition room, you're looking at your friends. Do you ever get afraid that even if you're trying your hardest, your biases are still coming in? And how do you deal with that fear, if you have it? Yeah, I get absolutely uh, terrified of that. But then it gets tricky when I, I feel like I have a relatively good relationship with most people. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I love having newcomers come in. Um, but the great thing is that I'm going to have a different close friend group from the vice president of the theater council who's going to have a different one from our friend who was in the council who decided to all be there. So after they would audition, they would leave the room and we would all have a debate about it, about how we right. felt they would fit in, what would be good for them. And that worked really, really well. It did avoid um, anybody having like a bigger part than anybody else. Um, and I found myself just being like, oh yeah, I'll be in that ensemble number and I'll do that just for the amount of people on stage. And we came to our first tech rehearsal and I was like, whoa, buddy, <laughs> you're in like every ensemble thing we got to bring it back and I found that the same for a bunch of other people so it was just kind of measuring out and making sure that people have equal parts even the people who were there more as a mover or a dancer mm -hmm. making sure that there are enough songs to justify them being in the show right so it's about the other people in the group helping balance you out it's not just about having one person in power it's about having multiple people in power to check you right correct correct yeah Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Uh, I really appreciate the conversation we had. I think I learned a lot about the way that you lead. I do have a few last questions for you. So what podcasts, books, or in this case, plays or musicals do you recommend to grow as a leader? And what thought leaders do you follow in social media or the news? As for podcasts, um, I listen to a podcast called Gals on the Go. Uh, which is about two recent college graduates who are both now living in New York City. Uh, they are also YouTubers. So they are definitely, like, kind of more, like, leaders for themselves, but they go to all these events for these different, like, fashion companies like Revolve and stuff like that. And it's very interesting listening to their opinion on becoming, like, a working woman in the real world, and it's a direct transition from college life to working life. Mm -hmm. So always listen to that because they do have these moments of, oh, like, I... I think this person at work thought, like, I was being really bossy when I need them to do something. 
So it is. That's definitely a podcast that I listen to. Um, a book that I recently read that I really enjoyed was Girl, Wash Your Face. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah, that one's a really, really good one, especially for women. Um, and The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck is definitely a really good book, especially for girls to read. I just remember all of this advice of being like, this happens. Don't let it bother you. Right. Uh, this happens. You have to still walk in like a boss. Yeah. Um, so just kind of listening to stuff that motivates you to be confident in the decisions that you're making. As for people that I follow on social media, um, I actually follow a lot of women in the PR industry. Wow, yeah. Um, I cannot remember the direct account, but it is the uh, PR agent that covers like um, Barrett Wilbert Weed. Wow, yeah. And a couple of other women. I follow her. Um, I think it's called, like, Let Her Inspire or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I follow her because that's definitely, like, what I would like to end up doing. I think that's so important is to follow people that are super similar to you that are successful in the field you want to go into. Yeah. I want to do Broadway PR. That's something I'm very passionate about. So she, that's exactly what she does. <laughs> yeah. um, and she's a woman and she's absolutely killing it. So just finding people that you kind of vibe with is really important. Okay, thank you again for joining me on this podcast. Absolutely, thank you for having me. On behalf of everyone at the Vasita Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank the podcast team, 89.5 FM WSOU for allowing us to use their facilities and you for listening. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership on Instagram at Vasita Leaders and on Twitter at SHU Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.